episode 427 of Cinematary. I'm your host, Zach Dennis, and I'm here with... Jess. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about movies that we saw this week in part one. And in part two, we're going to be continuing our Horror for Kids series by adding in something that we had to do because we miscalculated the month. Oops. Yeah. And uh, we're going to talk about 1993's uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas, which I think people... That has a whole... People like that movie. People, it's a, it's people, a, people love that movie. People like that movie. Yeah. I've seen it. I've, I watch it every Halloween, so... I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it before this. I know it. I, I know. I know all about it. So. Okay, but you every year it's a ritual. Yeah, I'll watch it. Was it next week? Two weeks? No, it's next week. Next week. Next Monday, I'll watch it. Well, you're gonna watch it on Halloween. Yeah, it's we can planned. talk about it. It's hard too. I can sing. I can sing most of the songs. Like I. Wow. I'm, I'm about it. Well, yeah. Let's save this. Let's save this good stuff for part two. All right. Um. All right, let's 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 kick off part two. I'm going to talk a little bit about a movie that I've already seen before, and I think I've talked about it on the podcast. But big time fave, that's bringing bringing a baby. It it's it fits into the category of, of nonsense movies. Love a good nonsense. We should have more movies that have like, no. Like when you're talking nonsense movies, are you talking something like avant garde or like? Clifford level, like what are we talking? It's about? it's pretty Clifford. Like this movie has no okay. plot. Like, like oh, if okay. it, like I could exp- I could read this this log line, but it really doesn't like explain what the movie's about. Literally, the movie is just Catherine Hepburn annoying Cary Grant for how long is it? One hundred and two minutes. And they're bringing up a baby. No, baby is the leopard. See that you know you don't like that makes no sense. Baby is the leopard. That's the leopard's name, and yeah. The leopard so is it's involved. Just, it's, so is it? It's, it's just meandering. It sounds like it's just kind of. It's kind of like a lot. I mean, we've. Ta- I think we talked about this last. It's a live action Looney Tunes movie. Like it's. It, and, it sounds great. Yeah, it's it's pretty much like um, to the point that I think Looney Tunes was um, Bugs Bunny specifically was. Um, I want to say I don't want actually I don't want to say that I might be wrong. I want to say that Bugs Bunny is is inspired a bit by Catherine Hepburn's performance in this. But I might be wrong. That might be wrong. I might be making it up. Don't hold me to that. Um, but this is a Howard Hawks movie for those um, who we've talked about. His Girl Friday, same director from from that. Um, but this one, again, it's tough to describe. It pretty much so. Uh, Cary Grant, Grant plays uh, David Huxley, who is a zoologist, <laughs> and so he he needs the specific bone for the dinosaur that he's like building or whatever at his museum but then over a variety of different circumstances ends up falling in with uh with susan uh her character's name susan vance um but the katherine hepburn character who literally pretty much she just like loves she like loves him immediately and is like i love him so much i'm just gonna find ways to annoy him and like keep me involved in his life until he also falls in love with me which honestly is very romantic you know who wouldn't want just this woman you know want a beautiful woman just throwing themselves at you um in order to keep you around and you and yeah, and Cary Grant the entire time is like very strong himbo status. He has like the little gla- he has like the little glasses on, um, with his little suit and suit and everything like super cute. Um, yeah, it's it's a 
strong himbo status movie for uh, for Cary Grant. But yeah, that's the, pretty much the rest of the movie is just like hijinks after hijinks. Like the like the majority of the time is like Catherine Hepburn. Like she'll take, she'll like find her car, but then she'll like steal somebody else's car and like trade cars. She'll she'll just do stuff to kind of she'll just do stuff to mess around with Cary Grant. He gets annoyed by it. Um, so but there's this whole there's uh, there's this whole situation where you have the leopard that her brother has sent her from Brazil. That but like the yeah but, sure but her just, what in a. In the mail, he just yeah, I guess so. Mailed her a leopard. Okay. And he, but the leopard's super. It's like it pretty much is like a large cat. You know, it's like it just acts like a domestic house cat. It um, it very much it 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 really enjoys the song. Um, oh shoot, what's the song title? It like has this song that it loves, so she'll like play the song or sing the song to it. Um, but then she has to like involve her aunt. It's it there's it's literally just like hijink after hijink of different things happening. I really like it because one, it's a very light movie. Um, it's funny because it's a very stressful movie because at the same time you kind of like you're processing through the um, Cary Grant character who's just stressed out the entire time because all the Cary Grant character needed to do was. Um, talk to this guy to get this funding for the museum and then he was supposed to marry his fiance the next day and Catherine Hepburn just ruined all of that like she's constantly just keeping him on like keeping him away from all of that um and so the entire time you're just stressed out because you're just like what the hell is going on why why do we keep going into different like what like Cary Grant even remarks half the movie it's like what I'm just trying to think of how I got to this point like, how did I get to this point where, you know, we're trying to find your pet leopard while, you know. This is the day I was supposed to be getting married or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so that part of it is really, like, it's it's super light in that. It, but it's also just really funny. Um, it was nice this time. It, like, I didn't, it's not it's not necessarily like constantly laugh out loud funny there's a lot of good lines that will make you laugh but i didn't find myself just like laughing constantly it's more you just kind of get sucked into the madness and the chaos um and you know like the the i I say it's a live action looney tunes because kind of the energy that you're dealing with is you know like um Think of like a Looney Tunes cartoon where like bugs will be interacting with another character and like give something to another character and that character gets like hit by a, like a bull or falls off a cliff or like that's pretty much the entire movie is Catherine Hepburn kind of doing something, handing it off to Cary Grant and then he's like kind of getting, you know, taking the brunt of it. For example, there's like the, there's a sequence where he runs into her at this restaurant and she... um she while walking over to him stops and like interacts with the psychiatrist and talks to him for a while and then picks up accidentally picks up his wife's which you say accidentally she probably did it on purpose but picks up his wife's purse and then walks over to Cary Grant talks to him and goes hey hold this purse I'll be right back and then leaves so then when Cary Grant's walking back to go and and meet her the psychiatrist sees it and then it becomes this whole thing where he's trying they think he's trying to steal um the purse and then Catherine Hepburn comes over and is like that's not my purse I don't know what he's talking you know that kind of so it's just it's a lot of those types of things set up um but she she's like she's like oh it's a lot of chaos pesky she's pesky 
there's a wonder like the, the ending is great because it's like this whole sequence where like most where Carrie she and Carrie Grain are in jail and she like puts on this whole persona and is like messing with the the uh, police chief um and pretending to be like a gangster because he's looking for like these gangsters for for whatever reason it's so like none of the movie makes sense and it's all so stupid and i loved every second of it um yeah it's it's a it's a really sweet movie and it's very funny um it's 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 very much a a it's it's kind of like his girl friday though it's a very language dialogue heavy movie um i think you kind of get the pleasure like like i said like i'm not sitting there laughing the entire time but i'm very much like enjoying myself because you like there's just this constant repartee between the two characters um there's like a lot of just really good one-off one-off lines that are very funny like at one part um uh Catherine Hepburn like when they first meet Catherine Hepburn is like just walks out and hits is about to hit Cap- Cary Grant's golf ball and he's like no no that's that, that's my golf ball and she's like no this is my golf ball you silly goose um and he's like no this you know like my the brand of golf ball that I use is like is like it has like this round logo to it and uh and so she just ignores him and hits the golf ball and then she hits the golf ball into um the cup and so whenever she she finishes the putt, she, he like pulls it out and he goes, "See this? Uh, see this is my golf ball. It's 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 circle. It's not square." And she goes, "Well, silly. If it was square, you couldn't hit the golf ball." And it's like that kind of stupid stuff that you're like, "This is great." Um, but no, I just uh, I don't know if people have not seen this. This is a very good if you haven't seen um, many black and white movies and are trepidatious of watching black and white movies. Um, this is a good one to see. It's very, it's very funny. It's very silly. It literally, there's nothing serious in this entire movie. Um, Cary Grant, super cute. Catherine Hepburn, super cute. Um, at one point, Cary Grant's in a, in a, uh, in lingerie with like this furry, this furry, uh, 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 kind of outside to it. And, um, he he leaps up in the air and says, "I'm sorry, I just went all gay for a second. Um, so you know, what more could you ask for in a movie?" What did you watch it on? Um, it's on Criterion Channel. I got I for the in the Criterion Flash sale recently. I bought I got the disc. So, but you can watch it. It's on it's on Criterion. It pops up on like TCM and HBO Max and those places that have TCM movies. Um, a lot it's pretty it's it's usually pretty widely accessible it's um yeah like i said it's um it's one of howard hawks's more well-known movies i mean i'm looking at it he would be a good person to do a series of of directors movies on but um but yeah it's 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 one of his more well-known ones next to his girl friday and gentlemen prefer blondes so um but yeah, no. If you're looking for like a, if you're looking for a nice, looking for a nice, fun, light, um, classic Hollywood movie, bring it up, baby. It's nice. We we got to get more nonsense movies. That's my plea: is more nonsense movies. I'm sold. You don't have to say anything else. I'm sold. I want to watch it. It sounds good. I don't think I've seen a Catherine Hep- Hepburn movie. Um, oh yeah. You haven't seen like the Philadelphia Story or anything. Mm-mm. I've seen Audrey Hepburn movies, but I don't think I've seen anything with Catherine Hepburn. She, you know. It's a blind spot. I'm trying to me. think. I like her in this more than Philadelphia Story. 
She talks like this, see? And, and walks around and is like, I've got their Hepburn. Look at you, doll. I'm going to like give you a sock and muffin, you know, stuff like in that. In this one or in the Philadelphia story? That's what she's like most of the time, it seems like. If you've ever seen um, The Aviator, the Martin Scorsese movie, Kate Blanchett plays her and it's kind of like that. Like she just has like this very like kind of boyish, you know, yeah, yeah, come on, let's just go. We'll all, we'll go have a roll in the hay, have a little fun. Ha ha. You know, stuff like that. That's who, she, that's, that's Catherine Hepburn. But bring it up, baby. It's, it's, uh, it's on the, it's on the streamings. Yeah. All right. I'm going to toss it over to you though, because you're going to, you have a whole different vibe, I feel like. Very different vibe. Well, because it's October. I've got to watch spooky movies only during October. So, Andrew and I, the other night, we watched V. It's V-I-Y. I think it's V-Y-A. Um, is the way they pronounce it in the movie, V-Y-A. Um, but it was a 1967 Soviet horror movie. Um, it came out in Soviet era. Uh, USSR? Russia? I don't know. Is it the same thing? I don't know. I'm sorry. The history. Um, it was, it's, so it's directed by some Russian directors, Konstantin Yershov and Georgi Kropbachev. That sounds like, that sounds like uh, some Russian names. If you're familiar with their work. Um, I, yeah, I don't think I've, I don't even know if I've seen a Russian movie before. Um, definitely not one like this, but, um, it's based off of a book, um, of the same name and I guess in the story a priest has been ordered to um, basically hold a three-day wake for um, a witch in this like small village Um, I don't know if it's like supposed to be obvious that she's a witch or not I don't know if it's kind of like a rumored but not like widely I don't know in the in the movie they kind of make it seem like everybody sort of knows that she's a witch Um, but he's just sort of, like, not talking about it either. Like, they're, they're, he's not really, like, open about what's going on. Anyway, so he's supposed to host, like, a three-day wake for this witch who's died, um, which means, like, every night he has to spend the entire night in just, like, this small, I guess it's like a church, um, and just be in there all night. Has she died of, like, natural well, co- Has she died of natural causes, or has she well, died because so, they killed her? It actually, so that's, like, the the most exciting premise of the movie but the beginning of the movie it just kind of establishes that there is this like monastery or something and there's these three like super like chud priests like they just love to like drink and act like total assholes and like be just yucky boys so they like they're, the the movie kind of starts with these three guys and they run into this like old hag and two of them I don't know what happens to them I don't know if they die kind of I don't know if I missed it or what but two of the guys like kind of fuck off somewhere and then this the one remaining guy is the priest that um like, like you spend the movie with and he finds this hag and then it almost looks like she's gonna seduce him or something and he's sort of like yuck um but then she like picks him up on her broomstick and takes him away and in my head i'm like man if that happens to me i'm in like i am joining her team i will be her little witch servant like i'm in like this is cool as shit so he's like flying with her um but then she i don't know what she keeps like kind of trying to seduce him or I don't know. Anyway, he decides like she's definitely a witch, like, and I love Jesus, so I've gotta, I've gotta take, take, 
take care of this situation. So he beats her up and then she dies. But when she dies, her form changes and then she just looks like a beautiful woman who's dead. And then he's like, okay, now she's definitely like a witch because you don't just go from old to like beautiful. Like when somebody whacks you, like this is messed up. So he, he takes off. But then she does end up dying. And then in her dying request, she requests that this specific priest hold a wake for her. And everybody in her town is like, no, he has to do it. So they all enforce him. They all like force him to do it. So all this to say, like the premise is interesting. And then I think like the horror element of it really comes from the three nights that he spends in the um, like church doing the wake for her. And it almost kind of reminded me of like a D&D campaign or something because – it's like every night he, he shows up and he's got like a little boss battle with her. And the first night it's like kind of easy level. And second night it's like getting pretty hard. And then the third night is like, like, I don't know, heavy metal, like, like it's like super, super intense, hard. Um, and I think like, how, you know, you just get your little like hair metal out and just start like riffing on a guitar. Like that's, that's the vibe. Like it goes hard. Huh? How did it sound though? Uh, yeah, I can't do the sound again. It ran out. You see, you did it. You got it. You get it. So um, that was like that's the coolest part of the movie for me. I think that the a lot of the frame story of like him, I don't know, like, establishing who he is, which is a super annoying character, and then his like journey to get to the town to do it. Um, parts of that were just like a little slow for me. It's kind of almost in like a fantasy setting, so I don't or more. I don't know. It's almost like they're little like peasants or something in like an older time renaissance. I don't really know what like era it's going for. Not like modern Soviet like 60s or anything like that. 67. But that's it's not set there. It's set more in like a medieval era or something. I don't know. But um, the frame story itself to me was a little slow or like a little tedious in parts. The characters were a little annoying. But I will say what's so cool about it is the special effects. Um, there's a lot of scenes where it's really clear that they're on like a stage with like a painted background. Um, and it's kind of just cool to see how they use that space and try to make it look real. But there are some really cool moments where they're using it and it's clear, like as you're watching it, it's clear that they're on like a moving platform, but it looks like they're running through the woods. But you can, if you watch closely, like you can see that they're on like a moving platform and also like the screen behind them is like moving too. And then there's a part where he's like being carried by the witch and just to watch them. I don't know what's cool is just like trying to think, how do they do this? You know what I mean? Um, but the way they, they do that and then edit it, there's a lot of really, really beautiful special effects or just like the way that they have to edit it to show the strange experiences that he goes through and then um I really liked the final night like he has with her um because they pull out like all of these like ho like horror creatures and just kind of seeing them bring that to life and I don't know it just looks really, really cool. Um, that was the strongest part of the movie is like the special effects for me. And there's a lot of really beautiful um, singing in Russian, whether it's like um, priests who are singing like a hymn or it's like little peasant villager people like singing some, you know, folk song, Th things like that. And then moments like the, um, the really kind of beautiful and kind of creepy, you know, macabre, but beautiful special effects that they do made it 
just like honestly it wasn't like a super horrific scary like I'm so terrified movie but it was just very like pleasant and creepy and um I really I really enjoyed it I feel like those those two words sound so opposite like both pleasant and creepy but there was just something really like I don't know soothing about it just like thinking about how they make it and put this together and um I thought it was really really good I liked it a lot I feel like that's going to be something we'll probably talk about later in this episode or next episode. You know, like for me with a lot of like Henry Selick's um, stop motion animated movies, like they're very creepy, but they're also, you know, they're yeah, kind of pleasant it's like to just watch. Like I enjoy knowing them. that they care, that they put into making, like bringing this to life. You know what I mean? Um, well, there's like, there's something about like the handcraftedness right. that is yeah, endearing, yeah, endearing, you know, like. Um, you know, it's because it, it's you know, it's not like like today. It's less endearing when you just kind of slap stuff on in front of a green screen or something like that. Like you're just kind of like, yeah. I mean, they, they just they just boo doo boo doo on the computer and like that's a thing. Um, you know, like this one, like they they had to like hand paint those sets and like design all that, and that's like days and days and days of effort for like you know a couple scenes. And you're like, yeah, like they're like it's a whole it's a whole process of like working to make sure that everything looks um unique and like feels feels surreal it looks real feels real yeah like that that's why we i think we replayed one scene because we're like okay they're definitely not outside but how did they do this and then we just kind of had to watch and see like how they brought these things to life and and made it look so cool like i loved it um and honestly it's just like kind of trippy too especially like some of the the scene especially at the beginning i'm thinking of where he first encounters the witch um it's just very mesmerizing, I would say, to watch. Um, and even in, like, the final horror moments of the movie where it is, like, you know, we're, we're pulling in, like, we're bringing in all the big guns now. Like, this is the big scary final moment. Um, there's something just so mesmerizing about it. Kind of like, I guess, like in Nightmare Before Christmas or something like that where all of these little, like, macabre creatures are just, like, coming out of their little corners and showing themselves. Um there's also this a scene that reminds me a lot of like repulsion because there's all these like arms coming out of a wall. Um, it's just it's awesome. I mean, I I like I said, parts of it for a, were a little slow to me, but like the full picture of it, I think everybody should check it out. It's really really cool. Mm-hmm. What? How did y'all I watch it? it a lot. Um, we rented it from our library, um, so I'm not sure if it's on streaming, but I feel like it is. I feel like I've seen it. Um, kind of circulating. It says V I. Let's see, V I Y. Nineteen sixty. V I Y. Nineteen sixty-seven. It's on. Yeah. Tubi. And it looks like it's on um, Amazon. If you have Amazon Prime. Yeah. Oh, it's only I like an hour twenty-two. Yeah, and it's not super scary. It, like, so don't go in thinking, "Oh my god, this is gonna like scare also, my pants off." It's also like, on no. YouTube. Do it. Do it. I recommend it. Um. I see what see what you're saying though. Good. Yeah. Good lighting. Yeah, it's kind of beautiful. Oh, but the I will say like some of the guys' haircuts are the goofiest fucking haircuts I've ever seen. Um, like all the monks have like these very very bowl cut haircuts, um, which just feels so out of. Pl- I mean, maybe that is like accurate like historically accurate but he just he looks like a guy this this monk he's such an asshole like he just loves to like just like get super lit and like 
uh, I don't know how to explain it other than to say he's just a chud, but he looks like a guy that would be named Travis. Like, he just looks like a guy who I would know whose name is Travis, and he's just kind of a piece of shit. Like, he doesn't look like a guy in Soviet 1960. He doesn't look like a guy in, like, the medieval times. He looks like just some dude with a bowl cut who, like, loves Bud Light. I don't know how to explain it. No, it looks like a, it looks like a, like a priest with his, with his little bowl cut. I mean... But I would, if you think it would have like the patch on the head or something, but like all of them have these, they really have some goofy haircuts. Yeah. It looks like, um, but, for, for listeners, if you, looks like a good, uh, good movie for if you're a, um, fan of like Guillermo del Toro. Like I'm looking at some of these creatures, very like Pan's Labyrinth, um, kind of vibes. Yeah. I would kind of, I would say also sort of like, um, house adjacent in times but maybe not quite as um house has like a lot of like loud imagery this isn't quite as loud as that but um it's another. i don't know i haven't watched any spook i haven't watched any spooky movies outside of the ones we're supposed to watch for this series i decided i don't think i i'm, I'm like i don't dislike horror but it's not a genre of movie i actively seek out it's there's so many good ones, I think, but now I agree. I, I've That's... gotten to a point. I've gotten to a point where I'm like, there's so many good ones now. Like, what do y'all got for me? And a lot of times I'm disappointed because it's like I've, I feel like I've already watched so many good ones. Yeah, I'm just like I, don't, I just don't seek it out actively because I'm just kind of like I like I I like a bunch of horror movies, but I'm not like that's a genre. You know, like it's not one of those things where if there's just some random ass horror movie in the theaters today that I'm gonna be like, oh, I should go see that just because I'm into the genre. Yeah. Um, well, like Barbarian, that was the case. You know, some random ass horror movie. Will it be good? No. Yeah, I also just have. I, I also just don't have much patience with a lot of modern horror movies. Whether it's like that kind of like, like spooky, scary, like try to scare you type one, or um, like a twenty four where it's trying to like give you a film lecture it's, it's not the time of year for you yeah so so the so the, the moral of the story is i don't watch spooky movies during i don't think uh, i exclusively have during october i watched 2001 it's, though which i don't know if you would i don't know if i would call that spooky it has spooky elements to it it has it's like it's in there it's in there i have mostly watched spooky movies well i really only Oh, I didn't even log when I watched Nightmare Before Christmas today. Wow. I'm the worst. I did Rocky Horror Picture Show a few weeks ago, too. But when I got to go to a live show, I've never done it, where they have, like, the cast on the stage and all that. I got to wear a V on my head. It was cool. I've never been before. I've seen the movie, but I'd never been to a live show. It was very... Nice. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be talking about that the nightmare before Christmas after this. Boys and girls of every age, would you like to see something strange? Come with us and you will see. This our town of Halloween. This is Halloween. This is Halloween. Pumpkins scream in the dead of night. This is Halloween. Everybody make a scene. Trick or treat. Tell the neighbors on your diaphragm. It's our town. Everybody scream. It's town of Halloween. I am the one hiding under your 
teeth sharp and eyes glowing red. I am the one hiding under your stairs. Fingers like snakes and spiders in my hair. This is Halloween. This is Halloween. 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 In this town we call home. Everyone hail to the pumpkin song. In this town, don't we love it now? Everybody's waiting for the next surprise. Round that corner and hiding in the trash can. Something's waiting now to pounce and how you scream. This is Halloween. Red and black. It's like a green. Aren't you scared? Well, that's just fine. Say it once, say it twice. Take a chance and roll the dice. Right with the moon in the dead of night. And we're back with part two of episode 427 of Cinematary. This part. We're going to be continuing our Horror for Kids series with probably, I feel like, the most well-known to a degree Horror for Kid movie. At least feels I feel like one that people definitely view in this category. And that's 1993's... It's like, who has not seen this movie? Well, we can talk about that. <laughs> um, and it's, it's 1993's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, directed by Henry Selleck from a script by Caroline Thompson. The film stars Danny Elfman, Chris Sarandon, Catherine O'Hara, William Hickey, and Paul Rubens. The film follows the misadventures of Jack Skellington, Halloween Town's beloved Pumpkin King, who has become bored with the same annual routine of frightening people in the real world. When Jack accidentally stumbles on Christmas Town, all bright colors and warm spirits, he gets a new lease on life. He plots to bring Christmas under his control by kidnapping Santa Claus and taking over the role. But Jack soon discovers even the best laid plans of mice and skeleton men can go seriously awry. As writer, uh, Tim Burton's upbringing in Burbank, California was associated with the film was the fi- with the feeling of solitude the filmmaker was largely fascinated by holidays during his childhood quote anytime there was christmas on halloween it was great it gave you some sort of texture all of a sudden that wasn't there before burton would later recall after completing completing his short film vincent in 1982 burton who was then employed at walt disney feature animation wrote a three-page poem titled the nightmare before christmas drawing inspiration from television specials of rudolph the red-nosed reindeer how the grinch stole christmas and the poem a visit from saint nicholas burton intended to adapt the poem into a tv special with the narration spoken by his favorite actor vincent price but also considered other options such as a children's book he created concept art and storyboards for the project in a collaboration with richard or with rick heinrichs who also sculpted character models burton later showed his and heinrichs work in progress to henry selleck also a disney animator at the time after the success of Vincent in 1982, Disney started to consider developing The Nightmare Before Christmas as either a short film or 30-minute television special. However, the project's development eventually stalled as its tone seemed too weird to the company. As Disney was unable to, quote, offer his nocturnal loners enough scope, Burton was fired from the studio in 1984 and went on to direct the commercially successful films Beetlejuice and Batman for Warner Brothers. Over the years, Burton regularly thought about the project. In 1990, Burton found out that Disney still owned the film rights. He and Selleck committed the pro- to produce a full-length feature film with the latter as director. Burton's own success with live-action films piqued the interest of Walt Disney Studios chairman Jeffrey Katzenberg, who saw the film as an opportunity to con- continue the studio's streak of recent successes in feature animation. Disney was looking forward to Nightmare, quote, to show capabilities of technical and storytelling achievements that were present in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, Walt Disney Pictures president David Hoberman believed the film would prove to be a creative achievement for Disney's image, elaborating, quote, we can think outside the envelope. We can do different and unusual things. Um, That's changed. 
Nightmare marked Burton's third consecutive film with a Christmas setting. Burton could not direct because of his commitment to Batman Returns, and he does, uh, did not want to be involved with, quote, the painstaking slow process of stop motion. To adapt his poem into a screenplay, Burton approached Michael McDowell, who uh, is a collaborator on Beetlejuice. McDowell and Burton experienced creative differences, which convinced Burton to make the film as a musical with lyrics and compositions by a frequent collaborator, Danny Elfman. Elfman and Bur- Burton created a rough storyline and two-thirds of the film's songs. Elfman found writing Nightmare's uh, 11 songs as, quote, one of the easiest jobs I've ever had. I had a lot in common with Jack Skellington. Caroline Thompson had yet to be hired to write the screenplay. With Thompson's screenplay, Selleck stated, quote, there are, are very few lines of dialogue that are Caroline's. She became busy on other films, and we were constantly rewriting, reconfiguring, and developing the film visually. On the direction of the film, Selleck reflected, quote, it's as though uh, Burton laid the egg, and I sat on it and hatched it. He wasn't involved in a hands-on way, but his hands... Uh, his hand is in it. It was my job to make it look like a Tim Burton film, which is not so different from my own films. When asked about Burton's involvement, uh, Selleck claimed, quote, I don't want to take away from Tim, but he was not in San Francisco when we made it. He came up five times over two years and spent no more than eight or ten days in total. The filmmakers constructed 227 puppets to represent the characters in the movie, with Jack Skellington having, quote, around, a hun- uh, around 400 heads, allowing the expression of every possible emotion. Sally's mouth movements, quote, were animated through the replacement method. During the animation process, only Sally's face mask was removed in order to preserve the order of her long red hair. Uh, Sally had 10 different types of faces, each made with a series of uh, 11 expressions. Uh, For example, eyes open and close and various facial poses and synchronized mouth movements. The stop-motion figurine of Jack was was reused in James and the Giant Peach, also directed by Selleck as Captain Jack. Um, The Nightmare Before Christmas was originally going to be released under Walt Disney Pictures as part of the Walt Disney feature animation lineup, but Disney decided to release the film under the adult-themed label Touchstone Pictures because the studio thought the film would be, quote, too dark and scary for kids, Selleck remembered. Quote, their biggest fear and why it was kind of a stepchild project was they were afraid of their core audience hating the film and not coming. Um, To convey Burton's involvement and attract a wider audience, Disney marketed the film as Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Burton explained that, quote, it turned more into more of... It turned more into a brand thing. It turned into something else, which I'm not quite sure about. The New York Times in 1993 said, Tim's... Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas is fun for the whole Adams family as well as for anyone who's else inclined to appreciate the spectacle of Santa Claus being kidnapped and harassed. It is Mr. Burton's peculiar gift to find uh, benign mischief in that kind of spectacle, just as Danny Elfman, who wrote the many serviceable songs that turn into the, it's into a full-fledged mu- movie musical, is capable of, gl- of writing gleefully in a minor key. The Washington Post in 1993 said, Although Nightmare is densely populated, it's Jack Skellington who must carry the film, and he's a wonderful creation, a spine, uh, spindly, for, uh, formerly attired skeleton who moves with the elegance of Fred Astaire and gets into as much trouble as Beetlejuice. With his baseball-like head and stitch of a mouth, Jack's more engaging than frightening, an often morose sophisticate who has a way with words. In 1993, Roger Ebert said the movies can the movies can create uh, entirely new worlds for us, but this is one of their uh, of their rarest gifts. More often, directors go for realism for worlds we can recognize. One of the many pleasures of Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas is that there is not a, a single recognizable landscape within it. Everything looks strange and haunting. Even Santa Claus would be different to recognize without his red and white uniform. On that note.
let's talk a little bit about the nightmare before christmas um i was talking we talked a little bit at the beginning of the episode i've seen i watch this every halloween just because it kind of gives me the halloween vibes i'm looking for um but jess i mean are you how familiar what's your what's your what's your familiarity with the nightmare before christmas yeah it was definitely a movie that i you know kind of loved idolized a lot it was kind of like a practically like a character identifier i feel like at the time you know like oh i'm i'm one of those people like i like nightmare before christmas i like shopping at hot topic you know that kind of thing like i felt like that i was there was a type of kid you know who really liked this movie and i was that type of kid <laughs> yeah well it's worth mentioning is is it wasn't it's only gotten like more widely popular i feel like lately like even even in the hot topic years it was like a outlier movie you know like it was it was kind of like yeah it was kind of like you know we we like this but it's not a it's not you know beauty and the beast it's not little mermaid it's not like it's more of like the uh the outsider disney movie to like yeah yeah i don't know and now i feel like it's like almost ubiquitous like i went to home depot today to get a light uh cover you know what i mean for like a light switch and they, you know, they mostly just had like random ghosts and like, you know, lights and stuff like that in the Halloween section. But they specifically, and the only like branded thing that they had was like Nightmare Before Christmas stuff. Like they, you know, there are obviously tons of horror movies, tons of like children's horror movies and iconography like that. But Nightmare Before Christmas, I feel like is one that just will forever stand. I don't know now. It's like everybody's seen that movie. Yeah, that's, I feel like it, that wasn't, even the case before you know it's weird if you read interviews with like especially henry Selleck, like he got um acclaim and stuff for this movie but it wasn't like a giant i don't feel like it was a giant hit um again it was one that kind of caught on over the years i mean to uh honestly the first time i came in contact with it wasn't even the actual movie i the first time i I saw uh, like pieces of the nightmare before christmas was in kingdom hearts like playing the video game so i played the, and i was like what the hell is this this is awesome um and then later came to the movie um but it's something that i feel like is is it's it's so strange that you know you read about how disney was so reticent about it and then it's quite honestly it's probably one of their most popular movies like like it's 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 i think it's just as if not more popular than like Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid. But I feel like they're Pinocchio. still so hesitant to do stuff like this. You know what I mean? No, they are. That's, what, that's what's so yeah. ironic. Yeah, is that like they're so they're they're so like oh I can't. But you're like but literally this is the most. And that's what's so strange about Henry Sell. I mean, I think Henry Selleck is a very like perfectionist worker, and that kind of hurts it in its stop motion. But he's only done one, what two, two movies two movies after this Coraline and Wendell and Wild you know I, I'm, I mean I'm just kind of like he hasn't done a lot of movies um and I wonder I, I also wonder if like that's because of oh well, he did excuse me he did James and the Giant Peach so James and the Giant Peach Coraline and then uh Wendell and Wild but um but still you're just kind of like I mean those are especially like um, I mean, Coraline is, is another one that's like kind of like a off. It's starting to get way more popular, but is also kind of a, a outsider animation pick right. that people like. 
Yeah, I would agree. It's that. it's currently our most listened like our most listened to episode of Cinematary is the one we did on Coraline. So wow, I wonder if this will be one of those. We better make it good then. <laughs> yeah, we better. We're gonna step it up um, starting now. Forty eight minutes in. Yeah. No, it's. I don't know. To me, it I I, I like it's kind of just you know we talked about it being kind of spooky and pleasant like this is a spooky and pleasant movie to me um it's just it's very comforting to have on you know i enjoy the you know i enjoy the musical numbers jack is such a i i like the the who is it the washington post like relates him to fred astaire he is kind of like fred astaire and like the way that they like move him around and things like that um yeah, he's like charming, you know. He, he he's like charismatic and charming, but he's also oh, he's just like you know, kind of having his little existential moment of like, there's gotta be more to life than this, and I don't know. I guess that speaks to anybody who's like, oh, is this all there is to life? You know, I don't know. <laughs> no, and I think that's kind of what uh, what people relate to. I you know, it's on on like a technical level it is like it's still one of the my favorite stop motion movies to watch just because like ebert hits it on the nail on the head like all of the set pieces and things like that they had like 20 20 sets that they used um those are also like intricately unique um you think of from like just the Halloween town architecture to the graveyard with the, with the hit, with the hill, you know, that like moves, um, to, it's just, I think that's what, what draws me to it is just, it's, everything is so, um, is, is just so fascinating and unique. Like all the characters, you have all the like weird side characters, you know, you have the doctor, you have Sally, um, I always laugh at the mayor when he's, um, you know, he's up there. He's like, Jack, Jack, I'm only an elected official. I can't make choices on my own. I know. It's so funny. Um, he's so that kind of Like, there's just such a wide variety of just, like, weird-ass characters and weird-ass th- that I'm just kind of like, yeah, this is such a, it's such a fun movie. There's something just so pleasant about it, right? Just, like, seeing them pull all these people and, like, you know, like, all these little, like horror tropes or something and like just bring them to life and do something just play within that space you know what I mean like I don't know I feel like the Adams family kind of does that too it like creates this space and creates this whole little universe of like macabre creatures and things and and just makes them all kind of like I don't know play with each other and I like that like a little sandbox of like horror of you know well this this one has the same issue that i have with the adams family which is like i could watch like another two hours of this where it's just like whatever the hell the people in the town are doing like you know like you have like the three witches and you have the like the vampire vampire people people. and you you know you like you just have like all you you know you just have you have the guy with the axe in his head he looks so much like Um, uncle fester too i don't know if that's on purpose or not probably not (laughs) yeah no, it's just such a, it's such a, um, that's what I say, it's such a unique, you just have all this, like, this wide variety of characters, um, and so, um, I think that's what kind of, that's, I, I just kind of, I think that's, that's why I watch it every Halloween, to answer the question, is, it's like, you know, it doesn't feel like Halloween until I, like, go visit Halloween Town for an hour and 20 minutes. It is, and it's, yeah, I'm, I don't know. So, I mean, I liked it a lot, you know, growing up. And then um, when I went to high school, I think by that point, I was kind of like, yeah, 
moving on from that. But I was in choir, and our choir teacher actually had us do like some music from it. So not that I already wasn't kind of pretty familiar with the music, but um, that was kind of like a little bit how I started talking to Andrew was uh, we were like put near each other on stage and kind of like started talking a little bit then. And we went on a trip to New York with the choir and um, he had the movie on his iPod, which was just, the screen was nothing like, you know, um, I know, but I, I know exactly like, what oh, you're describing. Yeah, exactly. Like why, what was the point? But I like asked him if I could watch it, you know, and that was how we started talking. <laughs> so in a way, so really, the nightmare before Christmas, you know, started it all. Started it all. Yeah, I don't. I don't really revisit it much, but it is. It is. Um, yeah, I think it's. It's a perfectly likable, fun movie for the genre. You know. Yeah, it's 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 kind of annoying that Disney, like, reaps the benefits of it so much now, though, because they were so rejecting of it and kind of trepidatious about it. Um, right. You know, it's 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 just kind of a bummer because I think, um, yeah, I wish they would do more more movies like this. I mean, they they really don't even do many stop motion movies um, at all. And so, um, yeah, do you the 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 songs? That's a good kind of a good thing to hit on is is just the song the song work. So you have. Chris Sarandon does the voice of Jack when he's just like speaking and talking, but then Danny Elfman is the does all the singing parts, and so like now he like they have tours where, you know, you can go and Danny the, the symphony will play, the score, um, in the movie will play and like they'll have Danny Elfman there and he'll like sing the parts and everything, um, and it's something that I've listened to him do interviews on, and he's very like fond of. This, like of the songs in this movie as well as playing the role of Jack still um it's kind of it's something that he likes to like he likes doing those shows where they have like the live orchestra and things like that um do they just travel around or what no I think around October they'll do like these they've done in the past like like and like LA or something like a long like a like a live orchestra with the movie playing behind it and he'll like sing the parts or stuff like that um but I, I really I think the song all the songs are, are are pretty great. I really like I can I can sing pretty much all the words of this is Halloween, but that's you know that's the that's the obvious one. But even like the um, the, the first song that you get where Jack's singing alone um, you get you know I, I, I also like the one with lock stock and barrel when they're um, Kidnap Mr. Sandy Claus. I like Kidnap Mr. Sandy Claus. Kidnap Mr. I was a, I think I had a little tiny solo of that one of one of those in our choir. Oh yeah. I don't remember which one it was. <laughs> I like that. I can do that one. I like. Um, yeah, I like. Uh, Sa- I like Sally's song. Sally's stuff is good. Yeah, lot, you get Sally's a lot. You song. get a nice range of Catherine O'Hara characters because she plays one of the. One of the children, one of the lock, stock, and barrel. I forgot which one it is. She plays them, but she and she does her like creepy, um, her creepy like ah voice, you know, like ah. But then, then, but then she plays Sally, and it's much more like her actual voice. The 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 lock, stock, and barrel role that she plays um, reminds me of her the the character that she plays in uh, Where the Wild Things Are. 
she's like she plays one of those characters is is kind of like the um the pessimistic semi creepy huh. one. KW? No, me let me let me You know, it's been I actually was thinking about where the wild things are the other day and kind of want to rewatch it. It's been a long time since I've watched it. Hey, I watched it. What was it for 400 slaps? Um she plays where the hell is oh, Judith. Yeah, the kind of skeptical but she like Catherine O'Hara is such a great actress because she just has like that. She like turns on this kind of like sinister voice and she does it in this movie. That's just kind of not even just like creepy. It's it's just it's almost a little like it like kind of gets you in the back of your back of your neck a little bit. It's a little a little uncomfortable. But um, yeah, I think the I, I, I think the 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 music the music in this movie is is so is really nice. It's kind of funny to, to kind of match this mu- this music up to again like the kind of I mean movies that are coming out around the same time for Disney, the Disney Renaissance movies, the the Beauty and the Beast, the Little Mermaids, the all stuff like that where you know like you have these like well-regarded um scores you know these kind of these but i'm like you know nightmare before christmas has just as many like well-known songs in it as as any of those do yeah yeah um yeah it is weird that we don't talk about this as like a disney canon in the same way that we do disney i don't know just like you know core disney movies but i feel like this alone kind of stands out a lot more than a lot of like the, a lot many of those Disney classics combined. So I don't know, like in terms of if people seen it, people are familiar with, it, people like it. Well, I think there's like a reference to it. Like there was a I forgot what year it was. It was, um, but they had for one of the anniversaries or something like that. They did. Um, it might have been the 20 year anniversary. But you had all these bands that like did reimaginings of the different songs, um, and it's you know it's kind of a wide. Let me let me pull it up. But it's kind of a wide um, ranging. I mean, you have like yeah, you have like Davachka and Marilyn Manson doing "This Is Halloween," and uh, All American Rejects, Corn. <laughs> Plain white tees. When, when when was this? I remember this, but it feels like a lifetime. It was it was ago. released in tw- in two thousand eight for the fifteenth anniversary. Wow. Oh my god. But like it's just like a but you know it's not like the same same type of band. You know like you have, Davachka is very different from Vitamin String Quartet to Corn and Rodrigo y Gabriela. You know like that's such a. It's just a strange, wide-ranging compilation of different artists. Um, but I think it's more like I, I bring that up to say that like it does have this like wide-ranging appeal, and it's it's interesting to me, um, you know, every time I watch it that it does have like this wide-ranging appeal, even to, that it's kind of grown in the 20, 20 plus years that it's um, it's been out. People have kind of I, I like that it's even though at the time Disney was like, oh, this can be too weird for our core audience, like they've kind of with time it's become you know one of their one of their biggest hits yeah i don't know i feel like that just kind of goes to show that there's always going to be like a market for this but i don't know why we don't 
Maybe maybe it's for the best though that it's like stuff like this doesn't come out too often. Otherwise, it would probably be kind of annoying. But I don't know. at this point, I almost feel like the movie has gone for full circle for me and like doesn't really have the same charm that it used to. Like it had a I had a hard time like keeping my attention on it. I think a little bit just because. Well, also I'm gonna say that I was listening to the music before I watched it today because I was like, yeah, I'm okay. Like I'm gonna get in that mood. And then so I listened to the music and I feel like I halfway watched it while just listening to the music and then. When I went and actually sat down to watch the movie, I'm like, okay, well. Well, it shows you how good, like I've that's how good the music is. Is like, you can just kind of listen right. to the music it and feel. It carries you through, yeah. You feel like you're already there. But I will say, yeah, like, you you know, as you were talking about earlier, the way that they create space in the movie um, and just, like, pull you into this very cool, like, giant, like, sandbox of a place that you just, you crave more time there. Like, you just wish you could just explore and go up, you know, all the little alleyways and, and just, like, have more time just spent in there, in there, like, watching them. Like, I want to know now, like, Sally and Jack, now that they've, like, finally figured out that they both love each other. Or even the, like, the creepy old doctor guy, how he makes his, like, his little doctor wife. And I'm like, you know what? I mean, you were kind of a jerk, but good for you. You needed somebody for sure. Yeah, it's. I think that's you know that's. I think the big take less like the subject matter and more like how intri- uh, intricate the the world is built. Um, it reminds you almost on like a level of like a Studio Ghibli movie, just because like it creates like this world that you're like, oh well, I could just like spend like three hours just like living in you know Spirited Away's world right that has nothing to do with the actual plot or some or you know Howl's moving castle or something like that um this one's very much the same way where it's just it's a strong um example of world building because like ebert said like it just kind of creates a bunch of a bunch of settings that you're not familiar with that are just like new experiences to you and i think that's what endears people yeah and i think for me you know like growing up and even still now horror, Halloween, that kind of thing. It's always been something that I love. Um, I always get most excited around this time of year. Like, it's my favorite time of year, going to haunted houses and watching scary movies and having bonfires and, um, you know, just... And, and then even just kind of like the macabre stuff, like I, I've always sort of liked that that kind of energy and you can't really find it. So having a movie that's just like fully in that space was refreshing. I don't know. Um when it was like in the space of like again like going back to the whole horror thing like it's not horror it's not necessarily like supposed to be you're not supposed to be like sleeping with the lights on afterwards you know right but it's just like bones and skeletons and graveyards and that kind of thing where you're like ooh, like you know i don't know to me and the whole all of it that's the whole world well that's why i think i watch it also is it like it that's why it feels like the essence to me, that's what I like about like Halloween and that seat and like this season. It's less, it's less. I don't want it to be like you know, like blood and guts and like horrific. Like no, I just want like spooky shit. Like you know, it's like singing and dancing skeletons and um, you know, weird, uh, uh, you know, kind of macabre worlds like this. Um, very like um, very expressionistic worlds that just kind of feel like they're they're pulling out of um they're pulling out of like your subconscious and your in your mind um that's the kind of stuff that like i like that spooky stuff that's the kind of essence of halloween for me um i also really liked um one thing that kind of stood out 
I liked the first, I think the boogeyman, the Oogie Boogie character is sort of weird. Like, why is this whole gimmick rolling dice and stuff? I don't know. But but I really like in, in his, like, first song, they go, like, um, black lights mode on it. And then everything turns glow in the dark. And I really, I just thought that looked really cool. I wonder if they, it was actually like black lights that they were using when they were doing that scene or if it was just painted and looked cool. I don't know. But it looked really cool. It's mm-hmm. probably it's probably painted, but it looks cool. Yeah. Yeah, he he it, I don't really understand why he's what his whole thing is, but like at the same time his whenever you go into like his house and his world thing, it's always it's 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 super again like you have like the skeleton heads and the lights and like Sipped the neon like and things yeah. like that. It's super, it's just kind of it's just a cool it's a cool space. Um yeah. No, I think um and, and you know that's that's the main point I think of this series, but to me like I don't know. I respond more to like these types of like spooky, spooky movies than something that's just like some slasher graphic horror movie. I'm not against those, but I'm just kind of like this. This is the stuff that that I like more is something like Nightmare Before Christmas. That's more just like right. Let's yeah. have some spooky fun. I mean, I think I think that maybe that's why people like this series is um, it's kind of what kind of formative little movies that maybe just you associate even with the time of year you know and they're pleasant and just a little scary just enough this one's not really scary but it's it's fun it's good i don't know yeah no it's 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 fun you kind of feel and this one's kind of the perfect you can kind of work it for two holidays you can watch it like around halloween or you can watch it around like thanksgiving like after thanksgiving when you get closer to christmas um it works on both levels um if you play kingdom hearts the first game is much more like in the halloween world the second one's more in a christmas world um i remember the first time i watched the movie after playing like kingdom hearts multiple times and then finally watching the movie version i remember i was like sick and i was kind of hazy and kind of being like like following the movie and being like this isn't like what the was when like the game is like it's weird being disappointed i've never played kingdom hearts i always kind of wanted to but i didn't have a playstation and now i don't know if it's worth it i mean it's still I can still play it, but that's because, you know, it's more of a nostalgia thing. It's it's a banger. It's a slapper. It's good stuff. It's got, you know... It's the only... It's 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 the... Probably the more stomachable, you know, digestible Disney I can take is Kingdom Hearts. Because you got a nice mix of Disney and Final Fantasy... So how did they get away with, you said at the very beginning when you were like giving the intro, you said that Disney started marketing it as Tim Burton's Night Before Christmas to just because they thought it would help them get. Yeah, because at that point, point. Yeah, right. so he was a, still a producer on it, um, but they thought that, you know, they might have a better shot of bringing people in because he had made Batman and Beetlejuice. So he was like a known, a known commodity at this point. 
And so, like, like Henry Selleck said, he didn't do that much. He didn't really do any work on it other than, like, kind of conceiving the story initially. Um, but no... I mean, it seemed like it was his passion project. He just wasn't able to direct it or kind of, like, once he got it in the right hands, he sort of, like, said, okay, cool, thanks for making this movie for me. I don't know. Yeah, it seemed like it was a mix of, like, he didn't have necessarily the patience to go to do the stop-motion process. And, I mean, and at that point in his career, like, he was tasked to make Batman Returns do a, and like was like at that point was a very hot commodity so it was kind of like I don't think he had the time to like step away and like spend multiple you know many many months working on a stop motion animated movie so do you think that I mean did did from what you read on it did, did Henry Selleck kind of have a problem with that that them them marketing like basically erasing his name from it even though it's his movie he directed. Um, he never. I, I didn't see anything where he's like talked about that. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure he kind of got the same thing. He got it. Like they were just kind of like, because when like Tim Burton was like trying to take credit for it, he was more just like, no, we just throw my name on it because it might entice people to check it out. Um, but I wonder, like, what would have been the impact of Coraline if this had been like Henry Selleck's Nightmare for Christmas. I mean, Coraline already, I think people kind of knew, even if they didn't attach the right name, I think people like knew that Coraline was from kind of the same, I don't know, they, they, creative minds, they've, they've taken, I mean, they call it just the Nightmare Before Christmas now, they've kind of taken the Tim Burtons off, um, but... I mean, it might it might have made it more of a hit. I just you know even that even after a Nightmare Before Christmas, I don't think people knew Henry Selleck by name from that. I mean, even though he did that and he did James and the Giant Peach, um, I don't think it was like they knew they like he was getting name checked. Because um, I mean that's the, that's probably the case with a lot of animated movies. I mean, tell me like who directed you know Beauty and the Beast or um, Mulan or something like you know it's like it's like those movies kind of live uh free from like the director kind of to a degree um i think it's only but then i don't feel like that's so much the case with like tim burton or henry selleck like even if you do know who he is you do know that he's made Coraline and he has like window and wild coming out and then tim burton from this went and made some Stop motion. Made like, one. Is Corpse Bride a stop motion? Oh, you only made two. Yeah, okay. he made uh, Corpse Bride and he made um, Frankenweenie. Frankenweenie, yeah. So. And he kind of like but, kept that imagery and that that kind of feel. Well, yeah, look. that's what Henry Selleck said. Like he tried to make it feel like a Tim Burton movie because at that point people had seen Beetlejuice, they had seen Batman, and kind of had an idea of what you know. But no, I think I think I think uh, with like. With like Coraline though, Coraline still like it, you can kind of see resemblances, but it very much feels different, you know, in terms of aesthetic. Because um, I think Tim, yeah, for sure, it's much more grounded. Yeah, Tim Burton, de- I think Tim, in like reality. Yeah, Tim Burton kind of has his like his lane, um, which was you know a pretty entertaining lane for many years. Less so now, um, even though I guess he's like he hates Disney again. I saw he had some quote where he was just like he called it a. Or like a horrible circus act or circus show or something. He was like ripping into it. So yeah, well, he liked them when they got his movie uh, on the radar. So well, and he like you know he he cut some paychecks for Dumbo and Alice in Wonderland and things like that. But uh, you know, 
that's how it works. That's that's just how things go. But um, no, I don't think I feel like Henry Selleck does probably he has his own he's his whole own kind of career going. I think with him he's he's just much more of like he's just very much like a perfectionist, and so it's not like he'll like churn out movie after movie after movie because he's very like. I don't, you can't if you're doing stuff. Because I, I, I was reading, he was talking while he was doing interviews for Wendell and Wild, and he said something about like he was gonna make this. I think it was called the Shadow King or something. He was making. He was gonna make this movie with Disney, but Disney. Um, oh, actually, it was with Pixar and uh, John Lasseter and, and Pixar kind of got uh, in the way of that. So he was just like, "Screw this! I'm not gonna deal with this." Um, and you know, right side of history for. Uh, Henry Selleck on that. John Lasseter is an asshole. So, but uh, but yeah, even Wendell and Wild. I think I remember seeing something that he that they had started working on this. Like, I think Key and Peele, like the show, was still going on when they started it. But he, I think he. Well, let me see. It, yeah, but I mean, it started in. 2012 and it ended in 2015 so like around the 2015 ish area um that i think they started working on it but i think i think you know at least started like thinking up an idea for it but yeah i think i think henry selick's just like a kind of a slow like he just kind of is slow and very methodical so um but i think that you know again that pays off like we've been talking about like you don't get if you have to kind of have that perfectionism to create a world like the nightmare before christmas that kind of feels like its own its own realm that you're going into if you're lazy you just you know make a marvel movie so any any final thoughts on nightmare before christmas no i mean i think it's not one, like I said, it's not one that I like go revisit a ton now, but it was really important to me growing up. And, um, I think it's, that's probably true for a lot of people. So I'm glad we got to include it. I'm glad we got to throw it in there. Yeah. It's one that, you know, I feel like if we're going to, you know, if we don't do any more horror for kids movie series, like we had to at least get this one in there. So, all right. Well, that'll wrap up this episode of cinematary. You can find us on, Facebook at facebook.com slash cinematary and on Twitter and Instagram at handle at cinematary um, and on Letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash cinematary if you'd like to see the movies that we talked about in this episode. Uh, head over to patreon.com slash cinematary if you would like to support the show. Um, whether, you know, $1, $5, whatever. Um, just kind of if you'd like to give something to the work we're doing, we appreciate it. But uh Thanks to our patrons, Cam, Chad Newsom, Corey Willingham, Candace Sisson, Ron Hayes, Teresa Marthothi, uh, Titus Arthur, and Tyler Chandler. Thank you so much for your patronage. Like we mentioned, next week, uh, we thought it was coming out this week, but it's going to be coming out next week. Um, or, it's, uh, or it's coming out this Friday, so we have time to like watch it to do an episode on it. Um, but Wendell and Wilde, the new Henry Selleck movie is out. Um, and that was one that Andrew... And Reed and I caught at TIFF, but uh, excited to revisit. And I hope people like definitely, you know, definitely check it out. It's a, I think it's an interesting one and worth, uh, worth watching. It's on Netflix. So, till then, thank y'all for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>